Thanks so much for joining us here on the Rivers Church Podcast. We see a church full of passionate people who reach the unchurched with the gospel of Jesus. Our heart is to equip people to love, live, and lead in God's kingdom. We hope you enjoyed today's message and pray that it encourages you to be all that God has destined you to be. If you need anything, please feel free to reach out to us and check us out on our website at riverschurch.co. That's riverschurch.co. If you'd all stand with me for the reading of the word, we're gonna be in Matthew 24, we're gonna read verse 42 through 51. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come in an hour when you do not expect him. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom the master has put in charge of the servants in his household to give them food at the proper time? It will be good for that servant whose master finds him doing so when he returns. Truly, I tell you, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But suppose that servant is wicked and says to himself, my master is staying away a long time. And then he begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with the drunkards. The master of the servant will come on a day when he does not expect him at an hour he is not aware of. He will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is the word of the Lord. Morning, everyone. If you'd stay standing with me, please, as I realize I now have the complicated job of figuring out how do I set down this cup of coffee. Okay, we're just going to put the mic down. We got there. Let's pray. Uh, If you would with me this morning, Lord God, we are grateful to be able to be here. We long to be with you, Lord. As we've seen in these last couple weeks, to be with you is more glorious than we can imagine. John can barely find the words. But we are grateful to be here so that we might partner in the work of your kingdom. Holy Spirit, speak to us today. Remind us what that work is. Convict us to be doing that work. We lift this up to you in your son's holy name. Amen. We can have a seat. Rivers Church, how are we doing this morning? Good. I am very pleased to be back here with you all here in the promised land that is the nine o'clock service. Uh, Wandering in the desert for as long as many of you did, I know, but you've returned. It's okay. You can be home now. Uh, I, I consider it an absolute gift to be able to be here with you all. I love that we can join in prayer with the group that's in Rocky Point. I just, I get really excited when I see other cultures of preaching. Because here in the United States, you know, we have some people who get a bit hype, insert Amy Renta here, you know, uh, and it, we love them, but there's always this edge in the United States, you know, of, oh, are they being a little too intense right now, especially in churches full of people that look like me? You know, are they being a little too intense right now? Other countries just don't have that problem. I love that we could barely hear Pastor Tyrone over the preaching that's going on in the back. It just makes me really, really happy. Almost as happy as it makes me to be here continuing our series on apocalypse. Now, I know some of you might have felt a little bit nervous. You saw a Matthew passage go up, and you thought, hang on, I thought this was a series on Revelation. Well, fret not. 
because this is still very much in the theme of what we've been learning about together here. An apocalypse is, after all, a revelation. That is its most accurate meaning. We see the words of Jesus revealed through John in Revelation 1 through 3. We see Jesus at the heart of eternal worship in heaven in Revelation 4 and 5. In short, Revelation is all about Jesus. It's very fitting, then, that we go today to the words of our Lord to hear what he himself had to say about how we as a people can get ready for his coming. And this makes sense because John's vision of heaven is fittingly glorious for our Lord. Not only is it visually stunning, but we see figures there fulfilling the key purpose of all creation, worshiping God. That is the point of creation. We have wandered from that point over the millennia, but that is the point of all of creation, not even just humanity, of all of creation. Scripture tells us it all sings the praises of our God. It is something we should be looking forward to, is to see revelation made real made manifest, that creation might go back to its purpose, that we might return to our purpose of worshiping our Lord. And however good you think it's going to be, it's going to be better than that. Because that's just how our God works. He is greater than we can imagine. So let yourself dream wildly about what that's going to be like, and then watch as he one-ups you when he brings his kingdom in its fullness. Now, many of us might be wondering, as generations of the church have wondered, when is this going to happen? We read Revelation. We see the words of Jesus. We get very excited. We want this to happen. So we're wondering, when is this going to happen? When do we get to join in this eternal celebration? When will God's kingdom come in its fullness? For some of you, you wonder about this so much, it's almost an aching in your heart. It's a thing you find yourself like, I don't know how to think about anything else. I just want to know when Jesus is coming back. I just want to be with Jesus. Others might be a little bit more nervous about that way of thinking. Because if your background's anything like mine, you have heard the accusation leveled at Christians that we are so heavenly-minded that we are no earthly good. And if you share that perspective, you might start to feel a little bit itchy, wondering about when Jesus is coming back. You'd rather hear and talk more on what we should do to advance the kingdom of God here and now. You get a little nervous when people just start talking about how excited they are for Jesus to come back, and you start thinking, okay, but what do we do now? Thankfully, Jesus is pretty smart, and more importantly, thankfully, Jesus is quite wise, and our Lord has wisdom for those of us on either end of that spectrum and everywhere in between, because the passage that we're going to focus on today, in which our Lord tells us when we might expect his return, beautifully speaks to this eternal hope that we are waiting for and what we can do right now so that we don't waste the blessings that God has given us. 
I love the wisdom of our Lord, as we're going to see in this passage. Now, we've got a lot to unpack, so we're going to dive right in. You might think, well, Andrew didn't read that many verses. Oh, no, Tyrone made the mistake of handing me the mic. We're doing the whole chapter. Uh, I just didn't want to make Andrew read that whole thing. I was going to have him do all of Matthew. Message would just be, you know, Andrew comes up, reads Matthew, I come up, wave, have a great rest of your Sunday. Uh, But, you know, we'll dive in for right now. First, we need to look at some passages that have been getting a lot more attention as of late in certain circles. If we look at verse 6, Matthew 24, starting in verse 6, you will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nations will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginnings of the birth pains. Now, with the current situation in Ukraine, passages like this are once more very much in vogue. See them on our social media feeds, hear them preached about in sermons like this one. I'm not trying to pretend I'm not preaching about this passage in case that's clear. But no, I said once more, invoke. Our attention to these passages is by no means new. Even just here in the United States, every time a nation goes to war in a way that people notice, we start bringing up this passage. These are the passages that we want to bring up. We did it during World War I. We did it during World War II. We did it all through the Cold War. Oh my gosh, we did it all through the Cold War. And I'm only a student of history. I've got people joining me today who actually lived being through that. You know, the drills of how your little school desk is going to protect you from a nuclear bomb. And let's all just hide under here. And now we're going to be okay. And we have nothing to worry about. Uh, But during the Cold War, and it's important to me that we understand, even in this moment, in which this passage talks about wars and rumors of wars, I felt the need to share a story, something of a historical story to show us we actually right now are very far from the closest that we have ever come to seeing the end of life on this planet. And I don't share this to scare us. I share it so we can understand just how beautiful the plan of our Lord is as we look at this passage. I want to tell you, if I can today, the story of a guy by the name of Stanislav Petrov. Raise your hand if you've ever heard that name before. Okay, a couple of us. I'm thinking I've told you this story probably. So Stanislav Petrov, it's 1983. Stanislav Petrov is a part of the Soviet Union's uh, missile defense program, and he has one job. Stanislav Petrov's job is to sit alone in a bunker and look at a screen. And this screen is going to tell him if the United States launches intercontinental ballistic missiles. Those would be armed with nuclear warheads. That if the U.S. launches those, it's going to be Stanislav Petrov's job to notice that. And then he has one job. He picks up the phone. He calls the Kremlin. He tells them the Americans have fired their missiles. He hangs up the phone. And that most likely triggers a nuclear war that would have ended life on this planet. If you don't know, during the Cold War, we had enough nuclear weapons to end all life on Earth three times over. We have less now. We have fewer now. But that's what we had. So one evening, Petrov's sitting there doing a job he's done many, many times. 
It's a quiet night. He's alone. It's a dark room. And then all of a sudden, everything turns red. The monitor goes off on the screen. Alarms start sounding. Those spinny alarm lights they have on fire trucks, I imagine, are going off. And his computer kicks out a message saying that the United States has launched five intercontinental ballistic missiles heading straight toward the Soviet Union. And Petrov, who has one job, he is supposed to pick up the phone, he is supposed to call the Kremlin, he is supposed to tell them the Americans have launched their missiles, and he is supposed to hang up. He sits there. And he sits there. And he sits there for about 20 minutes. And in case you don't know, it takes about 20 minutes for an intercontinental ballistic missile at the time to go from the east coast of the United States to the Soviet Union. The reason he sat there, there were two reasons. He had a feeling in his gut, something just didn't sit right with him. He had been trained his entire life that when this war started, everybody was gonna send everything. The Americans were gonna send all their missiles because you gotta knock out the enemy before they can fire back. So he pauses and he thinks, why would they just send five? They have hundreds of missiles, why would they just send five? And he also happens to know that this system that he's staring at so intently happens to be a little bit new. It's a newer kind of software that hadn't been running before. So he sat there for almost a half hour and waited. And at the end of those 20 minutes or so, he thought, well, it must have been an error because otherwise I wouldn't be sitting here right now because those missiles would have arrived. And he checks, and sure enough, the computer had spat out an error. The missiles were never there because one guy didn't pick up a phone we are sitting and standing here today. It's very easy to hear a story like that and think, one, Taylor, that was extremely rude. My anxiety has spiked enough. I don't need you telling me the stories from the 80s about how close we came to ending the world. That was mean. But it's very easy for us to hear stories like that, to look at the situation we see in the Ukraine today and to feel scared. Scared because we don't know what's going to happen. Scared because we don't understand why things are happening the way that we are. And as a result, many Christians want to wonder if these are the beginning of the end times. Because we look at a passage like the one we just read. We hear stories like the one I just shared. We see the mutterings of, you know, 24-hour news networks getting us worried about these things. And we think, is, is this it? I look at what I see in scripture, is this it? But the more important question in my mind is why are we fretting so much over that question? Why are we spending so much energy wondering, are these the beginning of the end times? Why have we historically and presently devoted so much energy to fretting over whether or not we are approaching the apocalypse? After all, does our Lord not say in this very passage, but see to it that you are not alarmed? But see to it that you are not alarmed. It seems Jesus 
might not want us using too much energy, worrying over whether this is the exact moment of the beginning of the end times. It might be. These might be the beginning of the end times. That's possible. But Jesus doesn't seem to want us completely focused on that. Otherwise, I don't know why he would say, but see to it that you are not alarmed. This might surprise us to hear because Jesus continues to list some things that we might reasonably find very alarming. He just sort of sprinkles this in in the middle of the passage. See to it that you are not alarmed. Here's more scary stuff. From 24 verse 9, then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, and you will be hated by all nations because of me. Further, after more harrowing events, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be, sa- will be shaken. Jesus goes on to describe people fleeing from desolation, cast out with next to nothing but the vain hope of survival in a harsh, cruel calamity of a world. And yet, in the midst of all that, our Lord says... But see to it that you are not alarmed. That is his word to us in the midst of all that. Now, one might wonder, Jesus, how can you possibly be this chill? How can you say that? You go and describe all of this spooky, scary stuff, and then in the middle of it, you just tell us not to be worried? How can you be that calm? Well, it's because he has a plan. It's because Jesus knew what he was doing. He knows what he's doing, and he's going to know what he's doing because that's the nature of our God. He can be that calm because he has a plan. Jesus urges calm in the face of calamity because he has a plan. And not just, hear me, an ultimate eternal plan. This is not just a plan that everything's going to work out okay in the end. It is also a practical, actionable plan, something we can do right now to both speed his coming, actually help him to return faster, and stay useful to the kingdom of God, however long we end up having to wait for his return. That is the beauty of our Lord's plan. It can speak to eternity and today and give us something to do for the kingdom as we long for his ultimate return. To see that plan, let's turn to another section of our passage. From verse 36, but about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, Only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Jesus there is referencing the biblical flood that occurs in the Old Testament that came upon people suddenly. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, up to the day Noah entered the ark, and they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. 
Two women will be grinding with a handmill. One will be taken and the other left. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you must also be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. So much excellent truth for us to unpack here. First, do not miss this vital statement. But about that day or hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Hear this, Jesus is saying that during his earthly ministry, even he didn't know when he was coming back. Even he was not aware of that knowledge. Far be it from us to do what far too many people have done, where we do a bunch of weird, dumb Bible math and look up a bunch of Babylonian star charts and figure out what phase the moon was in at such and such biblical moment so that we can supposedly predict exactly when Jesus is going to return. It makes me so sad when people put so much energy into those kinds of exercises, and they get so many people so excited about, today's the day, today's the day, when it's going to happen. And then, of course, it's not. What a waste of time and effort that could have been spent actually advancing the kingdom of God instead of just hunkering and waiting and hoping that that was going to be the day that Jesus comes back. After all, we see in this passage the Lord has something much more useful for us to be doing. And you might think, yeah, I see it right there. Verse 42, therefore, keep watch. All right, so that's what we should do. We should keep watch. Let's do it. And here's where your friend comes along and says, hey, uh, so I, I'm, I'm moving this weekend. I wonder if, if you could give me a hand with that. Oh, oh, sorry, I'm, I'm keeping watch for Jesus. And this is when your friend comes along and says, hey, I'm having a really difficult time in my marriage right now. I don't know what to do with my kids. I just need somebody to chat with. Do you, do you have a minute? Can, can we talk? Hey, yeah, in, so soon I'm just keeping watch for Jesus. And then your coworker comes up and says, hey, so, you know, I know you like go to church and stuff, and I happened to grab a Bible over the weekend, and I was looking through it, and I'm just really looking for somebody to, to talk with about who this Jesus guy is. Would you talk with me for a bit? Yeah, I'd love to, just as soon as I'm done keeping watch for Jesus. And now, according to the comedy rule of threes, I have to be done with that bit. <laughs> now, in case it's not clear, that's not what we're supposed to be doing. We are not supposed to just keep watch. Jesus does not want us to waste our time just waiting for him to return. Jesus does not want us wasting the blessing of the Holy Spirit just waiting for him to return because it's just that. It's a waste. 
if we are to do that. We can see this if we look again at our passage for today from verse 45. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom the master has put in charge of the servants in his household to give them their food at the proper time? It will be good for that servant whose master finds him doing so when he returns. Truly, I tell you, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But suppose that the servant is wicked and says to himself, my master is staying away a long time. And he then begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with drunkards. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he is not aware of. He will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So who is the servant whom the master will reward? The one who is found doing what they are supposed to be doing. Caring for people. The one who is found doing what they are supposed to be doing. So what, then, are we supposed to be doing while we're waiting for Jesus' return? Okay, so we're supposed to be caring for people. We see in sort of the metaphorical language of this passage while providing food for those who are in the house. We can take that kind of literally, I mean, feed people. It's never a bad idea. You know, feeding people, it's good. It's the only reason we got any college students to follow Jesus, I think, during campus ministry is because we always had free food. And it's a little bit like Field of Dreams. If you feed them, they will come, you know? So now that people are finally starting to get ready to play baseball, I can make that joke and not make everyone sad. So... It might have something to do with feeding people, but there's an even better way that we can make the most of this opportunity. We can get even clearer on what it is that we are supposed to be doing while we're waiting for Jesus. We want to follow Jesus's wisdom on how we can best care for people while we await his return. So what should we be doing? Thankfully, our Lord is gracious enough to provide that explicit direction right in the middle of today's passage. And even better, it's not really out of left field. It perfectly lines up with the commands that Jesus gave to his disciples while he was here on earth. We see it lining up with his words in Matthew 28, verses 19 through 20, the Great Commission. Some of you may know this as, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. What we see in this passage perfectly aligns with that scripture there and beautifully ties into the opportunity we have with our new round of our discipleship program starting next week. Something for us to think on. Now you might be wondering, sure, okay, we're supposed to spread the gospel, but how is that going to help Jesus come back any faster? I, I, don't, I don't see that in this passage. Well, don't ask me, ask Jesus. He already mentioned it. Let's go back to what I consider to be the most important line in this entire chapter. Take a look at verse 14. And this gospel will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations. And then the end will come. One more time. 
and this gospel will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. In the midst of all the spooky, scary things that Jesus mentions earlier in this passage, all the troubling signs about which we are supposed to not be troubled, our Lord graciously reminds us what we're supposed to be doing. Rather than fretting over all the fearful things of this world, we are supposed to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are supposed to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. And only when that gospel has reached the whole world, according to this passage, should we even consider expecting the end to come. Now, do not make the mistake of thinking that that has already happened. It's very easy for us to think as we drive our cities, as we see a church on every corner or every other corner, it's very easy to think that the whole world has heard. But it's still not yet true. There are still people living, breathing, dying on this planet, going to their eternity having never heard the gospel of Christ. That's still true. It shouldn't be, but it is. Now, to be clear, we are closer to that goal than we have ever been, but it's still not true. So then my question is, what will you do while you're waiting? Because we're all waiting right now. As we look through the rest of the pages of Revelation, we're reading about what we're waiting for. So we're all waiting right now. That's only going to become very clear as we go through the rest of these series. Will you just stay watchful? Because you could. You could just wait for Jesus. Or will you follow the command of our Lord and spread the gospel of Jesus Christ? My hope is that you will heed the command of our Lord and take that one clear step that we see here in this passage to help speed his coming. I'm going to go ahead and invite the worship team to come up. And I gave a lot of thought to how I wanted to end this message because part of me feels like this is a good spot for a really impassioned plea, you know, in, in light of Jesus' coming return. Now is the time for us to spread the gospel. But I got to tell you, that really doesn't feel right to me. Because if we need the end of the world to help motivate us to spread the word of God, then something has gone terribly, terribly wrong. If that's all that's going to motivate us to tell our friends and family and the world about Jesus, and something has gone terribly, terribly wrong. That is applying middle school logic to the fate of people's eternal souls. I've got my students thinking that they can pull off a two-week project the night before, and every one of them who's tried that has had to discover this year, you can't really do it. Or if you do it, it's not going to go great. And you're not going to feel good on that day when you are called to account. And that's just for a middle school history project. 
Yet we behave far too similarly when it comes to sharing the gospel. We have been putting off the one job our Lord has given us for going on about 2,000 years. And the cost of procrastinating this work is infinitely higher. I just want us to think about this for a moment. What if Jesus could have come back already? I'm not God enough to know his eternal plan for any of these things. But what if there's a world in which if we'd been more on getting the gospel to this whole world, Jesus would have come back already? What if the world could have been saved that much more pain, destruction, and death if only we had taken our task more seriously? I'm not standing before you with the ego to say that I know that that's true, but I wonder, because it is clear to me what God wants me to be doing. And I know I've procrastinated that. I know our nation's procrastinated that. And I know our world has put off that work to see the gospel go to all nations. And I wonder what the consequences of that might be. And I wonder if we're not living through them right now. And I don't know about you, but I would much rather get it together and do the work that God has called me to do. And how do we do that? Well, there's the obvious. Share about Jesus with all who will listen. And hear me on this, and I say this in love, but posting a Bible verse to Insta doesn't count. I mean, go and talk with people about Jesus. Look another human being in the face and tell them the stories of our Lord and how he has transformed your life and the love that he has for them. That's how we share the gospel. Remember, though, that Jesus told us this gospel needs to be preached to the whole world, which means there must be a global aspect to our ministry. And I praise God that our church does a great job supporting the advancement of gospel of the gospel around the world. I love that we get missionaries from all over the world coming and telling us what God is up to. I love that our church supports that. We should, too. My prayer is that from today for the rest of your life, that global missions is a fixed item in every single one of our budgets. I don't care if it starts as a dollar. Find a missionary whose work you believe in. Find a people group that you want to see preached that has not yet heard the gospel and help make that happen. It's a conviction of my heart that that needs to be a part of our lives. If you don't know how to get that ball rolling, come talk to me. I got plenty of great people I'd love to put you in touch with who are fulfilling this work of getting the gospel where it's never been before. And it's incredible to partner with. Rivers Church, let's stop just keeping watch. And let's start speeding the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. These might be the beginning of the end times. But either way, our job is the same. We need to spread the gospel. Thanks again for listening to this message at Rivers Church. We'd love to have you subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already. 
To learn more about what's going on in the life of our church community, check us out at riverschurch.co. I pray that this week you would walk in the power and the presence of God. Thanks for joining us.